Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, and they do it with mirrors. Where Miss Marple senses danger when she visits a friend living in a Victorian mansion, which doubles as a rehab center for delinquents. Her fears are confirmed when a youth fires a revolver at an administrator. Neither is injured, but a mysterious visitor is less fortunate, shot dead simultaneously in another part of the building. Pure coincidence? Miss Marple thinks not. This will be a five-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's They Do It With Mirrors. Do you think that people would ever guess, Jane, that you and I are practically the same age? Not for one moment, Ruth, I'm afraid. I look every minute of mine. And so do I, though not quite in the same way. Ruth Van Rydock was standing in front of a long mirror in her apartment at Claridge's, trying on a very elegant and quite remarkably expensive dress. I know that what I see in my mirror is not really true. Mirrors only show you what you expect to see. (laughs) Ruth, you surely can't have asked me to come all the way up from St Mary Mead to tell me that. No, Jane. I most certainly have not. I want to talk about Carrie Louise. I'm worried about her. Carrie Louise? The name took me back more than half a century to the pensionette in Florence where I first met the two Martin sisters. I was a pink and white English girl from a cathedral close, filled with excitement by the two American girls with their vitality and their curious ways of speech. Ruth, tall, eager, totally confident. Carrie Louise, small, dainty, and rather wistful. When did you see her last, Jane? Oh, not for a long time. It must be 25 years at least. We still exchange Christmas cards, of course. But why are you worried about her, Ruth? What is it? In a way, that's what worries me most. I just don't know. She's not ill. She's very delicate, always has been. But I wouldn't say she's any worse than usual, considering she's getting on in years. (laughs) Just as we all are. Is she unhappy? Oh, no. Carrie Louise has always lived right out of this world. She has no idea what it's really like. Maybe that's what's worrying me. She was always the one who had ideals. Although ideals were rather the fashion when we were young. I was going off to nurse lepers, and you wanted to be a nun, I remember. (laughs) Well, that was one ideal that certainly didn't materialise. Still, taken by and large, I haven't done too badly out of marriage. Three times, unless I've lost count. (laughs) And they were all extraordinarily wealthy men. Well, poor Carrie Louise has always married cranks. 
She was a pushover for anything or anyone really unworldly. <laughs> I remember when she was just 17, pretty as they make them, listening with her eyes as big as saucers to old Eric Goldbranson, holding forth about his plans for the human race. Over 50, and she married him, a widower with a family of grown-up children, and all because of his philanthropic ideals. I suppose that when you've amassed a colossal fortune like his, philanthropy is the only way to dispose of it. <laughs> all those trusts and research fellowships and colleges for the sons of working men. Even so, she became a very wealthy woman when he died. Thirty-two's a very nice age for a widow. She's got experience, but she's still adaptable. And with a small fortune into the bargain, that's why Johnny Resterick married her, of course. He was something to do with the theatre, was he not? A designer or something of the sort? Oh, I never took any of that very seriously. Johnny was a selfish, pleasure-loving, lazy hound. But that's so much safer than a crank. And then he left her for some Yugoslav woman whose name I could never pronounce. And poor dear Carrie Louise was quite angelically sweet about it all, obligingly prepared to divorce him so that he and that frightful woman could get married. But weren't there two children from his previous marriage, or, or have I got it totally confused? Oh, no, you're quite right. She even took them under her wing, reckoned they'd be more settled living with her just as well, for within six months both Johnny and his unpronounceable new wife were dead. She drove their car over a cliff in a fit of rage. Oh. Oh, they said it was an accident, but I always thought it was sheer bad temper. I've never met her third husband, Louis Serracold, nor do I know anything about him. Oh, Louis is yet another crank, another man with ideals wanting to improve everyone's lives for them. Rescuing juvenile criminals is his passion, and he turned Carrie Louise's house, Stony Gates, into a college for young offenders, funded by the Gulbranson Trust. Ruth, what exactly is it that you're afraid of? I tell you, I don't know, Jane. I've just been down there on a flying visit, and there's something wrong in the atmosphere of that place, something lurking there that's evil. I want you to go down there, Jane, and find out exactly what it is. But surely that would be a most difficult thing to bring about. Oh, no, it wouldn't. I've worked it all out. I prepared the ground already. In what way? You'll admit, I'm sure, that things have been difficult in this country since the war for people like yourself living on a small fixed income. Oh, yes. I suggested that what you really needed was a nice long rest in lovely surroundings with an old friend and plenty of nourishing food and no cares or worries. Anyway, it's all organized. She's going to send you an invitation. Now, go on. Be mad if you want to be. Why should I be mad at you, Ruth? It's a very ingenious and plausible approach. And Carrie Louise is hardly likely to invite me for an indefinite stay. Three weeks should be ample. You reckon you can find out what's wrong there in three weeks? You've got a lot of confidence in yourself, Jane. But I was feeling far from confident two weeks later on the train to Market Kindle, the nearest station to Stony Gates. I was grateful for the fact that there were a great many stops, so that I had time to try and work out what Ruth had told me about Carrie Louise's large and complicated family. 
there had been no children at first from her marriage to Eric Gilbranson. Poor Carrie Louise. She took that very much to heart. So they decided to adopt a little girl. Pippa, they called her. A perfectly lovely little creature. She was two years old when they got her. And then, as so often happens, Carrie Louise discovered that she was pregnant. She had a daughter, Mildred, whom I met once or twice. She used to call me Aunt Jane. She was very plain and terribly jealous of any attention shown to Pippa. And Pippa married an Italian? The Marchese di San Severiano. But she died giving birth to a little girl, Gina, who was brought up by Carrie Louise and who is living at Stony Gates with her American husband. And Mildred married a clergyman at Cannon Street, much older than she was and given to colds in the head. He died a year ago and Mildred came back to live with her mother. And then there are Johnny Resterick's children by his first wife. And they are called... Alexis and Stephen. They're absolutely devoted to Carrie Louise. And apart from Carrie Louise's husband, Louis Serracold, and dozens of teachers and psychiatrists, that is it, I think. But which of them, I wonder, will be there to meet me at the station? Miss Marple, you are Miss Marple. Yes, I am Miss Marple. I've come to meet you from Stony Gates. How very kind. And your luggage? Uh, just the suitcase. Uh, Porter, bring this case over to the car, will you? Right-o. Chambelan. These people get more unhelpful every day. The car's just over here. I'm Edgar Lawson. Mrs. Serracold asked me to meet you. I helped Mr. Serracold in his work. Oh. Will you come in front with me, Miss Marple, or do you prefer to go in the back? Oh, thank you. I think I... Edgar! Rather... What the devil? I thought I wasn't going to make it in time. I see you've got Miss Marple. I've come to meet her. How do you do, Miss Marple? How do you do? I'm Gina, Mrs. Serracold's granddaughter. What a nice string bag. I love string bags. I'll take that in your coat while you get in. But look here, Gina. I came to meet Miss Marple. It was all arranged. Oh, I know, Edgar, but I suddenly thought it'd be nice if I came along. I'll take Miss Marple with me, and you can follow on with the luggage. Do you know, my dear, I don't think Mr. Lawson was very pleased. Edgar's just a pompous idiot, always trying to give the impression that he matters. And doesn't he? <laughs> Good Lord, no. He's only been with us a short while, and he's off his chump anyway. <laughs> you were at school with Grandam, weren't you? It seems so queer. It must have been a very long time ago. Oh, yes, indeed it was. I expect you feel that more with me than you do with your grandmother. Yes, that's true. Grandam, you know, gives one a curiously ageless feeling. It's so many years since I last saw her. I wonder if I shall find her much changed. Her hair's grey, of course, and she walks with a stick because of her arthritis. It's been getting much worse lately. Oh, dear. Have you been to Stony Gates before? No. I've heard a great deal about it, of course. It's pretty ghastly, really. A great gothic monstrosity. What Steve calls best Victorian lavatory period. <laughs> but it can be fun, too. Some of the boys are rather pets in their way. That young man at the station, Mr. Lawson, he helps Mr. Serracold, he tells me. Is he his secretary? Good Lord, no. He hasn't brains enough for that. He's a case, really. He used to stay at hotels and pretend he was a VC or a fighter pilot and borrow money and do a flit. But Lewis took him in and found him jobs to do. I dare say we shall wake up and find ourselves murdered one of these days. Well, there it is in all its glory. Hideous, isn't it? There's Grandam over there on the terrace. 
I'll drop you off here so you can go and meet her. Jane! Oh, how wonderful to see you again after all these years. Dear Carrie Louise, I blame myself for letting it be so long. Years since I last saw you. Oh, it's just lovely that you've come at last to pay us a visit here. Don't stay out too long, Grandam. It's getting cold. They all fuss about me so. They rub it in that I'm an old woman. And you don't feel like one. No, Jane, I don't. In spite of all my various aches and pains inside myself, I I go on feeling just like a well, a chit of a girl like Gina. <laughs> Perhaps everyone does. The glass shows them how old they are and they just refuse to believe it. It seems such a little while ago that we were girls at that boarding school on the Lungano. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember Fräulein Schmidt? Oh, with those frightful button-up boots. <laughs> How could I ever forget her? <laughs> We'd better be going into the house or I shall get the most dreadful scolding from Jolly. Jolly? Juliet Belliver. You'll see, I shall get a terrible ticking off. What on earth are you thinking of, Cara, staying out in that cold breeze? What will Mr. Serracold say? Now do stop fussing, Julie. I want you to meet a very old friend of mine, Jane Marple. Jane, this is Miss Belliver, who is simply everything to me. Nurse, dragon, watchdog, secretary, <laughs> housekeeper, and very faithful friend. And much good does it do me, since you never listen to a word I say. How do you do, Miss Marple? How do you do? Where are we putting Miss Marple, Jolly? In the blue room. Shall I take her up? If you'd be so kind. Not that the brocade looks very blue any longer. It's faded, like everything else in this house. Nothing's changed here in 50 years, except your bathroom. It's quite dazzling, isn't it? Oh, all that chromium. And the orchid tiles. It's... It's very modern. John Restrick had ten bathrooms put into the place when he married Carrie. The plumbing is about the only thing in Stony Gaze that's ever been modernised. He said that the house was a perfect period piece and should be left exactly as it was. Did you know him at all? No, I never met him. Mrs. Serracold and I have seen practically nothing of one another over the years. He had great charm, rather like his son's. Women liked him far too much. That was his undoing in the end. He was a complete rotter. The housemaid will unpack for you. Tea will be served in the library this afternoon. Shall I wait to show you down? Oh, no. I'm sure I shall be able to find my way. Thank you. As you wish. But don't hesitate to ring if you need any help. It was very brave of you to make your own way, Jane. Oh, I did get rather lost, I'm afraid. It really is a very large house. <laughs> yes, it's quite ridiculous, really. It was built by a Victorian ironmaster or something of the sort. Not very surprisingly, he went bankrupt soon afterwards. <laughs> We've kept the centre of the house pretty well as it was. The great hall and the rooms next to it and above it. The rest has been divided off into offices and rooms for the teaching and psychiatric staff. The boys are all in the college building. You can see it across the lake. Oh, and there is Gina. What a very beautiful girl she is. Oh, yes, it's so lovely to have her back here again. I sent her to America at the beginning of the war. Did Ruth talk much about Gina? No, she simply mentioned her, that was all. Oh, poor Ruth. 
She felt terribly guilty about Gina's marriage. She, she doesn't realize, as I do, that the old class barriers have been broken down for good. Gina married in America, then? Yes. Yes, he was a Marine with a very good war record. Quite a hero, in fact. Gina was swept completely off her feet, and they were married within days of first setting eyes on each other. But Ruth didn't consider he was right for Gina? Well, she kept on insisting that no one knew anything about him. He came from the Middle West and had no money and no profession. However, by then it was too late. I was very relieved when Gina accepted my invitation to come over with him. And how is he finding life here? Well, he's, he's rather a fish out of water at the moment, but there's so much going on around here, and if Walter wants to take up medicine or study psychiatry, Lewis would give him every encouragement. And after all, this is Gina's home. They really do make a remarkably handsome couple. I don't wonder Gina fell in love with him. Oh, oh but that, that isn't Wally. That's Steve, the younger of the two Resterick boys. He runs our little theatre here. Lewis says it gives the boys an outlet for their energies. He thinks that so much of juvenile crime is due to exhibitionism, and he sees the theatre as giving them a chance to express themselves. And Steve has been perfectly wonderful with them. He puts his whole heart into it. It, it isn't any business of mine, but I suppose you realise that he's in love with her? With Gina? Oh, oh no, I'm sure not. You were always lost in the clouds, Carrie Louise. There's not the least doubt about it. I've got some bad news, I'm afraid, dearest. It's that boy Jackie Flint. I really did think we'd set him on the right path, but he's been arrested for petty theft. Not even stuff he could possibly sell or even want for himself. Clearly, we never got to the root of the trouble. <laughs> Lewis, this is Miss Marple, you remember. Of course, of course. How do you do? How do you do? I I'm so delighted you've come to stay with us for a while, Miss Marple. It will make such a difference to Caroline to have a friend from the old days with whom she can exchange memories. In many ways, she has rather a grim time oh, here. Oh, that's nonsense, Lewis. Not that it's all bad news. I've had a letter from that bank in Salisbury. They're very pleased with the progress the Morris boy's making. In fact, they're going to promote him. I always knew what he needed was responsibility. <laughs> but uh, aren't you coming in to tea? I thought we were having it here. I told Jolly. No, it's in the hall. All the others are there. Tea seemed rather incongruous among the gothic splendours of the great hall. Everything was piled haphazard on a tray, while utility cups mixed with the remnants of what had been Rockingham and Spode tea services. Jane, this is my daughter Mildred. You haven't seen her since she was a tiny girl. You haven't changed a bit, Aunt Jane. You're just as I remembered you. She had always been a very plain little girl, and sadly she had grown into a plain woman with a large, unimpressive face and dull eyes. And this is Wally Hudd, Gina's husband. Hi. He was a big young man with his hair brushed up on his head and a sulky expression. He seemed concerned only with cramming cake into his mouth. Surely we don't need to use those tatty old flats again. We could play the scene against the psych. Gina and Stephen Resterick had eyes only for one another and were carrying on a highly animated discussion about the set designs for the next production in the theatre. Edgar Lawson, sitting next to Mr. Serracold, glowered and refused pointedly to respond to anything that was said to him. 
It was very bewildering, and dinner that night was no better, with all the teachers and psychiatrists chatting away in their incomprehensible fashion. Eventually, they all trooped out to have a conference with Mr. Serracold. I wonder if I ought to go and join them. Mr. Serracold may want me there. Uh, oh, no, no, I don't think so, Edgar. Lewis simply wants to discuss some changes in the administration. Oh, I certainly wouldn't want to go anywhere I'm not wanted. I've had quite enough of that today, with Gina making me look a fool at the railway station when I went to pick up Miss Marple. Oh, for God's sake, Edgar, why can't you just grow up? Come on, Steve, let's get back to the theatre. Good night, everyone. I know Good I'm night. not needed or wanted. I'm perfectly sure of that. If things had been different, if I'd had my proper place in life... Oh, don't start all that again. Now, Edgar, don't work yourself up about nothing. Jane thinks it was very kind of you to go and meet her. Gina always has these sudden impulses. I'm sure she didn't mean to upset you. Oh, yes, she did. She deliberately set out to humiliate oh, me. Oh, Edgar. You don't know half of what's going on here, Mrs. Serracold, but I'm not going to put up with it any longer. You'll see. You'll all see. <laughs> he really is the most odious young man. You shouldn't put up with such behaviour, Mother. The poor boy's so sensitive. <sighs> Lewis says he just can't help it. Everyone can help behaving rudely. Of course, I blame Gina. She does nothing but make trouble. One day she encourages the young man, and the next she makes fun of him. What can you expect? It's got nothing to do with Gina. The boy's crazy. That's all there is to it. It took me a long time to get to sleep that night. What could it have been that had so alarmed Ruth Van Ryduck? Stony Gates was evidently not a happy place. Mildred was obviously jealous of Gina, Stephen was equally obviously in love with her, and poor Wally Hudd was not enjoying himself at all. But surely none of this put Carrie Louise in any kind of danger. As for Edgar Lawson, there was something wrong there, something that worried me. But what was it? Pulling up the weeds with your bare hands, Miss Marple. There ought to be some proper tools somewhere. <laughs> Well, it, it is such a pity to see this poor border so terribly neglected. Not that I imagine you ever bother your head about such things. Oh, you have much more important work to do with Mr. Serracold. I suppose so. But I can't be sure. It's what's behind it all, you see. Behind it all? It's just that I'm in a very difficult position. I see. I don't know whether I ought to be telling you this. Oh, don't concern yourself about an old and useless woman. You see, Miss Marple, if I had my rights... Yes? I might as well tell you. You won't let it go any further. Oh, no. It's about my father. Nobody knows except Mr. Serracold. You see, it might cause a bit of trouble if it got out. I'm Winston Churchill's son. Oh, I see. There couldn't be a divorce, of course. No question of marriage. He's always done what he could. He's got enemies, and they're against me too. They watch me wherever I go. They make things go wrong for me. They're here, making the others dislike me. Mr. Serracold says that isn't true, but he doesn't know. Miss Marple. Yes? I want you to keep your eyes open. Find out who it is that's spying on me. You'll do that, won't you? Yes, I'll certainly do that. Good. Thank you. And now I must go and find Mr. Serracold. He reminds me of someone. But who is it? And where was it? What's he been going on about? Has he been telling you who his real father is? 
Yes, as a matter of fact, he has. Yesterday, he said it was Marshall Montgomery. <laughs> it doesn't seem very likely, does it? No, it doesn't seem at all likely. He told Gina something quite different about being the rightful heir to the throne of Russia. Do you think he knows who his real father is? I should imagine not. That's probably the trouble. Nothing about this place makes any kind of sense. Take the house for a start. They're rich, these people. But just look at the way they live. The place is falling to bits. The tapestries are rotting on the walls, and the chair covers are worn to shreds. And look at the dress Mrs. Serracold was wearing last night, darned under the arms, and nearly worn out. Perhaps it's because things like that are of no importance to her. Oh, don't get me wrong. I understand all about being poor. There's nothing wrong with it so long as you're prepared to work to make something of your life. I never had much money, but I'd put by enough to open a garage when the war ended. And then I met Gina. We were just like a couple of crazy kids. Everything was going just fine until that stuck-up aunt of hers started to make trouble. Mrs. Van Ryduck. She said we should come to England, and that seemed fair enough. Gina wanted to see her grandmother, and this place was her home, after all. And I was curious to come over here anyway. Just a visit. That's what I thought. But you hadn't reckoned on staying on here. No, ma'am, I had not. And the place makes me feel like I'm tangled up in a spider's web. There's nothing for me here. And Gina isn't the girl I married. I can't understand her anymore. I can't even talk to her. Yes. I can see it must be very difficult for you. God knows why I'm telling you all this, but there's something about you. You kind of remind me of my Aunt Betsy back home. A lot of sense she had. <laughs> she looked so frail you could snap her in two. But actually, she was tough. <laughs> I'll say she was tough. But here comes Mr. Seracold. And I know he'll try to sign me up for a course in criminal psychology or something of that sort. I must be off. It's been nice talking to you, ma'am. Miss Marple, I'm so sorry. I, I'd planned to take you on a tour of our institution, but I'm afraid I've been called away. That boy I was telling you about yesterday, Jackie Flint. His case is coming up tomorrow in Liverpool. And I simply must be there. I shall do my best to persuade them not to prosecute and let me take over the boy. You see, in my experience, the magistrates nearly always take the wrong view. Sometimes they... I'm sim sorry to disturb you, Mr. Seracold, but the car is here. I'll look after Miss Marple for you. Uh, yes, of course, I'd better be going. Oh, where's my briefcase? It's in the car, Mr. Seracold. Thank you, Jolly. Goodbye, Miss Marple. Goodbye. Someday, that man will drop dead in his tracks. It's against human nature never to relax or rest. He only sleeps four hours a night. He is very devoted to this place. He never thinks of anything else. Never dreams of looking after his wife or of considering her in any way. She's a sweet creature, as you well know, Miss Marple. And she ought to have more love and attention. But nothing's thought of here except a lot of whining young men who want to live easily and dishonestly. What about the decent boys from decent homes? Why can't something be done for them? I suppose because Mr. Seracold wouldn't find them very interesting. And as for that young man, Edgar Lawson, 
I couldn't help noticing him haranguing you earlier. He ought to be locked up, in my humble opinion. But that wouldn't be the way of things in this place. Sometimes I think we're all sitting on a powder keg at Stony Gates. All it needs is one little spark for the whole thing to be blown sky high. And that young man is just the one to set it all off. In part one of Agatha Christie's They Do It With Mirrors, Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield. Carrie Louise, Ursula Howells, Ruth Van Rydock, Jill Balkan, Louis Serracold, Peter Howell, Mildred Street, Natasha Pine, Gina Hudd, Rebecca Lacey, Walter Hudd, Stephen Lucas, Juliet Belliver, Paula Jacobs, Edgar Lawson, Rhys Meredith. They Do It With Mirrors is dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>